Uh, I once had a conversation about my faith at school, and it was uh, not good. Can you repeat the question? Yeah. One of my friends said that they didn't want to talk about the Bible or anything because it made them uncomfortable. Yeah, I'll probably try again because, I mean, you never know. I've done a decent job, I'd like to think, of at least letting people know what I'm all about and who I believe in. Well, the first time I tried to like share my faith in school, it was just inviting friends to church. Recently, what I've been doing is anytime I can, I've just been like talking about my faith. Um, most of my friends are really receptive to that. I think it's really hard to share faith, especially when you're in that middle school, high school, teen time, because you don't really know who you are. You're trying to fit in. If you do believe in it or you do have it, it sets you aside from someone else because the Bible does call Christians to be uh, to higher standards and sometimes those higher standards don't necessarily fit into society. The truth is hard. It means they have to be careful about their lives and most of my friends don't want to be careful about their lives. They just want to have fun, live in the moment. I have one of my best friends and he like didn't always make the right choices and like sometimes like I went along with him not making the right choices and it was just because I'm trying to stay with like stay in that clique you know stay stay popular and I said you know just come to church with me and he'd be coming for a couple months and then youth camp came and um, I just heard God talk to me and I just went up and told him like this is the night that you're going to change this is the night where you're never turning back and that night he um, gave his life to God if I live my faith they can see the effect it's had on me, and they realize there's something different about this guy, and they want to find out what. Just at any time you share your faith, you're partnering with God, because it's probably the most terrifying experience I've been through, and I know I would not have done it, and I would not have done it again if God had not been by my side through all of that. We should share, because who knows if they're ever going to hear about it from anywhere else. We try to wait for these perfect opportunities where we think all the stars will align and things will just be perfect. And honestly, that's not how it's supposed to be. Things aren't supposed to be easy and never is supposed to be easy. And so it's just taking that step of faith and getting outside that bubble and hoping and knowing that something is gonna come out of that step of faith. And it's just getting out of there and not waiting. So this, uh, today I'd like to actually read two verses of Scripture, uh, Matthew 28, and then also we will read a, a verse of Scripture in Mark chapter 16. But while you're turning there, I want to present to you the fact that our public school systems in this country are the most strategic mission field in this country. The reason why, there's several reasons, a couple of reasons, are because 99% of the population go through the portal of the public school. How many of you guys are a product of the public school? Let me see your hand. You graduated just about everybody in this room. Eight out of ten individuals, if they do not receive Jesus Christ by the time they're 18 years old, 80% of the time they never will. Our young people develop their God perspective, good or bad, before they graduate high school. It is imperative that we reach 
students. Imperative that we reach students. I gave you guys a, a quick stat earlier that our country is the second most non-Christian nation in the world. Back in 2009, according to U.S. missions, we were, we were actually number three behind China and India. But now we've taken India's spot. India is more Christian than we are. And, and you say, how can that be? Because I drove past several churches just to get to this church this morning. Well, here are some more numbers that might help you understand that. In 1910, I guess uh, 1910 to 1946, we called this the builder generation. And we were able to reach 65% of that generation for Christ. The boomer generation, born between 1947 and 1964, we were able to reach 35% of the young people in that generation. The buster generation, born between 1965 and 1976, we were able to reach 15% of the young people in that generation. You guys see the trend. It keeps trending down, right? The Bridger generation, which I'm a part of, was born between 1977 and 1994. We have reached 4% of that generation. And you say, how can this be? With each passing generation, the church, sadly, is losing and losing and losing influence because we are now living in a culture where, uh, you know, you can do no wrong, right? I mean, I was so frustrated over the last couple of days where you see the tragic happening there in Dallas where we have police officers who are shot and killed. And then you have the news media that, you know, they are, they are, you know, making, making excuses for why that happened, right? We're living in a generation where there's no such thing as absolute truth anymore, not, not like there used to be. But, of course, we know that there is absolute truth. But the church oftentimes is just viewed as another institution that just has their own version of truth. What I want to present to you guys this morning is a powerful strategy from the Assemblies of God and how to reach our public school. So if you have the scriptures with you today, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. And then again, we'll also read Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus says this, and you guys know these scriptures well. Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in Mark chapter 16, verse number 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. I would like to talk to you about the commission that Jesus gave the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In the two verses that I just read to you, Jesus explicitly gave this directive for believers to transverse this globe, to teach all nations the gospel, and to take the saving message of Jesus Christ into the world. In looking at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, and in Mark 16, 15, we discover that there are different Greek words here that Jesus uses to tell us who we're supposed to go to and where we're supposed to go. The first word that I want to look at here is Matthew 28, 19, and it's the word nations. Nations. This word or this Greek word for nations is the word ethos, which is where we get our word ethnic. In Greek, this word always describes Gentile nations. However, it doesn't just refer to nations that are 
at a distant place from us necessarily, but it expresses the idea of different customs, cultures, and civilizations. Jesus here is unquestionably telling us to take the gospel message, his message, the message of hope and the message of life, to every culture, every custom, every civilization, every race, every color, every ethnicity in this world. The gospel is not just for America. The gospel is not just for China. The gospel is not just for the rich or the poor. The gospel is for every single person living and breathing on this planet. And here's the good news for us today here in Centerton. Because the mixture of the nations has so dramatically changed in the past 50 years, we don't necessarily have to cross the ocean to get to a mission field. But the worlds have come to us. Amen? I mean, we are living in a culture that is very mixed. I mean, you can just walk across the street, in some cases literally, and be a missionary to a different custom or culture, right? We are that mixed. Mark chapter 16, verse number 15, Jesus used a different word to tell us who we are to target with the gospel message. And this is very significant. He tells us to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And this word for world is the Greek word cosmos. And this word always describes anything that is ordered. In the Greek, it is often used to denote a particular political system, a system of fashion, a system found in any part of society, such as a circle of friends or any sphere where you live or have influence. Why is it that the trend keeps telling us that we're not reaching each generation that's coming up. We are, we are just trending down when it comes to really reaching people for the gospel. Because sadly, the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking about the body of Christ, we have succumbed to just you know coming and just gathering in our cosmos or our world systems here on Sunday or on Wednesday or, when, or you know whenever we meet. And we've forgotten that he's told us to go, to go to where they are, to go to where they're at. And that cosmos, guys, listen, could be your workplace, it could be your, your, your home, your, your neighborhood, wherever you are. The Apostle Paul used the word cosmos in 2 Corinthians 4.4 when he called Satan the God of the world. Paul wasn't speaking of the physical earth in that verse, but he was telling us that Satan operates through world systems. And don't you see that today? Satan has done a great job of taking Jesus' command to go into all the world, but yet he's not preaching the gospel, right? He's spreading his junk. He's spreading darkness. He is perverting the truth of God. But that's how he influences, and church, that's how he controls this planet, is by operating through the different world systems. He's in the fashion world. He's in the, he's in the entertainment world. He's at the job place, right? He's everywhere. He's in the political world. Come on, somebody. He's everywhere. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the ones influencing. We're supposed to be the ones infiltrating the world systems of this planet with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us to go into the cosmos. Just as Satan attempts to manipulate, dominate, and control, we are ordered to go into those world systems as well and to make a difference, to bring truth, to bring love, to make a difference. Of course, the world system that I want to talk to you guys about this morning is the world system called our public schools. 
Again, there are this fall there will be some 65 million students in school. It's an entire generation from K through 12 that's gathered in one place. And we have a window of opportunity to reach them before they graduate and they just scatter all over the world. Wow. The mission of the church has always been to take the love of Jesus into all the world. And for the local church, the community in which it is located is always the best starting place for taking the love of Jesus and spreading it all across the world. And the local schools in that community, in my opinion, is one of the best starting places for outreach. Our local schools in most of our Arkansas communities is the only entity in that community in which it encompasses all the demographics of that community. From the youngest all the way up, from the richest to the poorest, doesn't matter what color your skin is, every single demographic is represented in that public school. And it's not just about reaching youth, right? I mean, that's extremely important. But these young people have parents, and these young people have grandparents and aunts and uncles that need Jesus as well. There are school employees that work there that need Jesus. So when you view your public school, it's not just about trying to grow the youth group or trying to have a great children's ministry. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. But it's also about reaching the adults that are tied to these young people. And so I declare to you this day that our schools matter in this state. Number one, our schools matter because of just the sheer need. Students are hurting. Leaders are facing pressures. Souls are on the line. Just a few quick stats for you guys just this morning. 28% of U.S. students in grades 6 through 12 have experienced bullying. 70.6% of young people say that they have seen bullying in their schools. In 2015, there were over 6,000 reported cases of bullying in the state of Arkansas alone. At least one young person, and I told you guys this earlier, at least one young person between the ages of 10 to 24 commits suicide every single week in the state of Arkansas. More than one in five children are at risk of hunger in Arkansas. 184,000 students live in poverty in Arkansas. By the second quarter of the 2015-2016 school year, over 11,000 students were reported homeless in Arkansas. And check this one out. Teen pregnancy in Arkansas is 52% higher than the national average. You say, well, they're young people. I don't understand them. I don't get them. You know what? I don't know that I do either. But these young people, if we do not reach them, and if the Lord tarries, these young people will be our parents one day. These young people will be the ones voting laws into this country. These young people will be our school teachers. They will be our doctors, our lawyers. They will be our civic leaders. They will be the ones shaping this country. We have to reach them. We have to reach them. Number two, our schools matter just because of the sheer opportunity, the opportunity that is there. Schools are in need, and, and, and we can help. 
I was talking to a pastor just this past last week. His name is, is Eric Harrell, and he's the pastor at Brinkley. And when, when he got to the church, the church was, was, was just broken and hurting and you know, had been through a lot of negative, negative things. And his community is a very impoverished community. But he made their public schools a priority. And so what they started off doing is they just started off just, you know, trying to volunteer wherever they could just, just to help that school. They started off by just redoing all the flower beds there at the school. The church paid for everything, and he got his people out there, and they weeded, and they, you know, they put fresh mulch, and they, you know, they did all these things, just really made it look nice. This pastor would volunteer from, well, you know, from time to time, I guess, you know, maybe a couple times a month where he would actually go to the cafeteria and he would help clean the cafeteria trays just to let that school know that they were there. This pastor would do that. Now, he's been doing this sort of thing for years now. He's been at the church for about five and a half years. His church has grown exponentially. His people, he said spiritually speaking, they are at the best spiritual health that he's seen in that church since he's been there. The people are eager. And just recently, his church was voted. His church, Brinkley First Assembly, was voted uh, um, Citizen of the Month for that community. When I talked to him last week, he was filling out papers to run for school board just because he wants to be a part of that community. And he's going into that world system. And he's making a difference. There's a young man that was actually at youth camp all month, last month in June. Uh, his name was Joe. Joe comes from a broken home, broken family. But Joel now feels called to the ministry. And this pastor has played such a big part in that because he met Joe where? On that public school campus. Joe's a part of his church. Joe was actually leading his youth group for a period of time. Now Joe is going off to college at Chi Alpha uh, and he's going to make a, a, you know, just a tremendous, tremendous difference in the world. Students are there. The opportunity is there. Oftentimes, meeting physical needs provides opportunities to have spiritual conversations. And this is exactly how Jesus did it, right? You know, a pastor was telling me, and this is so exciting to me, how your, your new property is just right close to this large high school that's there. What a tremendous opportunity. And you may say, you know what, that, that's a big school. There's probably not any opportunities for me, but there is. Schools are always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for somebody to help do something. Maybe you could, you know, help in the lunchroom. Maybe you could pick up after a football game or a basketball game. Maybe you could work the front gate, right? Maybe you could just simply take a meat and cheese tray to the teacher's lounge, maybe once a week or maybe a couple times a month, just to let them know that you're there and that, you know, if there's anything you can do, maybe you can run for school board, you know, and be a problem. I mean, I don't know. It's just about finding your in and getting in because, again, the public schools is the largest unreached people group in this nation. Another reason why the opportunity is so great is because the public school is the largest gathering point for students. 
Students are there. You know, and I said this earlier, an entire generation, it's there. And we have to reach them. We have to reach them. Number three, our schools matter because of just the simple responsibility that we have as the church. Simply put, Jesus told us in Matthew 28 and also in Mark 16 to go. He never said that they would come to us. He told us to go to them. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You know that that is probably the best evangelism strategy when it comes to trying to reach this generation today. You know, back in the day, you know, and I know that pastor's here, you know, and he could probably really attest to this. You know, you might have gone door to door and just knocked on doors, or you might have just handed somebody a flyer, you know, we're having this event, you know, or we're doing this, we're doing that. But today, we're, guys, we're living in a day and an hour where, again, people view the church is just another institution that has their version of truth. They think that they can get truth here or there or there. Of course, we know the truth. It's absolute. It's right here. It's the Word of God. But oftentimes, we never get the opportunity to share that with them until we do something to serve them in some way. And the way we live our lives in this community, I'm not talking about right here. It's easy to do it right here. But the way we live our lives in this community paints a, paints a picture of who Jesus is to everyone out there. And that's what Matthew 5, 16 is saying. Jesus says, when they see your light, they will see your good deeds, and they will glorify him, your Father in heaven. Jesus also said this in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. How are we going to solve this issue that's going on in our country right now? It's not going to be by protests. It's not going to be by blasting our government or other individuals on Facebook. It's going to be by loving each other. By looking at our fellow man and you know, just loving them. Amen? Just loving them. Our schools will know that they matter when we serve them. And can I tell you this, that biblically speaking, it is the previous generation's responsibility to reach the coming generation. You can look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 31. You can look at when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River with Joshua. What did God tell them to do? Put memorial stones in that river. So that when your children come by and they ask what that stands for, you can tell them. Hosea. We love to quote this first part of the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse number 6. It says this, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We love to quote that, but when we read the whole verse, this is what the whole verse says. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God. I will also ignore your children. You may not think this, but the previous generation, this next generation is always tied to you. And it just, guys, it just keeps going like that. It was God's strategic plan to, to, to pass His laws and His decrees and His ways down from generation to generation. And it, guys, it always comes through 
the previous generation. Even in the assemblies of God, pastor was talking about the rich history of the assemblies of God. Back when the assemblies of God first started, we didn't have all of the great literature and, you know, I mean, everything laid out for us, what we believe. I mean, for years, we were still hammering these things out. And so all we had was a testimony of what God had done. But the Hebrew word for testimony means this, he'll do it again. Guys, think about this. The things that God has done for you in your life is not just for you in your life. It's for somebody else coming behind you. When we look at the state of our country, and it's easy to look at our country and be very unsettled, to be very discouraged even, but there's still hope. Why do I say that? Because the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. Well, what's grace? Grace is the empowerment that we need to live for God, but we have to go, and we have to go where they are. And the public schools is the perfect place. Youth Alive is the Assembly of God's strategy for reaching the public school system. We are committed to the most basic human right for every student, and that is to know and have a personal relationship with Jesus. We work cross-denominationally through a wide variety of strategies to empower students, to reach students, and to connect churches and youth ministries to their schools. And a few of the key strategies that we implement, number one, is something that we call prayer zone partners. Prayer zone partners. We believe that nothing great happens unless there's been prayer involved. The Bible tells us if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Prayer is never a waste of time. Part of my assignment in this district is to raise up an army of prayer partners who will begin to view the school as a mission field and begin to pray for that school. Every time you enter into a school zone or you pass through a school zone, you turn it into a prayer zone. Every time you see a school bus, every time you come in contact with a student in one of our public schools or even a teacher or, you know, for that matter, an employee of the school district, you pray for them, you lift them up, in prayer. There are over 7,000 campus missionaries across the U.S. that need a covering, a prayer covering, and over 1,300 campus missionaries in Arkansas that are exposed to sin, that are exposed to temptations and difficulties like most of us have never faced. And again, nothing big happens without prayer. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this, the affectionate, fervent prayer of the righteous avails much. When you pray and you seek God and when you cover people, when you stand in the gap for somebody, when you intercede for a generation, it's never a waste of time. Amen. Another strategy that we look to implement, and this is so important, is student empowerment or, or what we call campus missionaries. I know that you guys have heard me use that term a few times here this morning, but a campus missionary is just simply a student who lives out the human right to make Jesus known at their school or wherever they go. It's getting to the point to where every single public school in the state of Arkansas will be closed to the outside. Meaning, if you're not a student or an employee, you will not be allowed onto that campus. 
But students will always be our visas onto that campus. Students will always be on that campus. So if we can reach students, if we can disciple students, if we can train them and then even equip them and resource them with everything they need to go back to that mission field and be a light, guys, we're doing something. A campus missionary commits to pray daily for their friends and teachers and others who need Jesus' hope. A campus missionary commits to live the Word of God, to live a real consistent Christian faith by reading, studying, and, and, and even memorizing God's Word and spending time in personal worship. A campus missionary commits to tell their story to their friends about Jesus or to be a witness on that campus. Kind of like what Cameron ran into when he crossed paths with that campus missionary. A campus missionary commits to serve others, to serve or to even start a campus club on that campus. A campus missionary also commits to give generously, to give of their time and their finances to promote the message of Jesus globally. We need to reach students, not just so that we can get them in our youth group or not just so that we can get them in our church so that we can in turn send them back out to make a difference in our campuses. There's over a thousand public school campuses in this state. 476,000 students. There's no way Tasha and I can reach everyone. But we can reach students and we can multiply ourselves through those students and send them back to make a difference on their campus. Amen. Thirdly, we use student networking, which is what we call campus clubs or Youth Alive clubs. And this is just simply a, a club or a meeting where students gather together. It, it is student-started, student-initiated, student-led. And this is a launching pad where students can network together to reach more students for Christ. As a youth pastor, the best way to reach students is through other students. I mean, I could be as cool as I could be. I could wear the trendiest shirt. I could have the biggest events. But until I got students believing that they had what it took to reach their friend for Jesus... My efforts were minimal compared to what they could do. Matter of fact, I had one student one time. She was a senior in high school. She was responsible her senior year for bringing 40 more students into our youth ministry that year. She got on fire for Jesus, and she went after it. How many of you guys have ever heard of Speed Delight? Good. Man, you guys are awesome. Isn't it funny how in the Assemblies of God, Pastor, have you ever thought about this? In the Assemblies of God, we have our women's ministry, which we thank God for our women. Amen? They will raise money, and they'll work very, very hard for, to you know, help, help you know, buy socks and towels and different things like that for missionaries. Our men's ministry in the Assemblies of God work very, very hard to be able to send all these different types of literature and things for our missionaries to give out. Both those things are very important, and our missionaries are, uh, you know, are very thankful for that. But it's our youth ministry who are, who are given the responsibility for raising the twenty-five dollars to $35,000 Speed Delight vehicles. Why? Because when youth believe in something, they go after it. When youth catch something, they go after it. Jesus says it like this in, in Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. Our goal is to have a 
campus club on every single campus in the state of Arkansas. Why? Because where two or three are gathered on that campus together, Jesus is there, and it makes a tremendous difference. Have you guys ever heard of the um, um, West Virginia outpouring? Have you guys heard about that? This this going on, been going on for like several months now. That started in a hallway of a public school. Some students would gather right in front of their locker, and they would pray. Pray for their day, pray for their teachers and just, you know, other students. Even before the school day would start, they would get there early and they would just pray right there in front of their locker. One day, of course, I don't believe in coincidence, but, but one day God ordained some other students to walk by as these students are just praying in front of their locker. And six students got saved. That's a big deal, isn't it? Right there in that hallway, six students are saved. Well, this thing kind of rocked on for a couple of weeks, and there was great momentum. And so this, this campus club had invited a speaker who was actually holding a revival in that, in that community to come. And so this evangelist comes, and he is just teaching and preaching. 150 students get saved at that campus club on that campus. Pretty big deal, huh? Exciting. Over the course of two weeks, turn to your neighbor and say two weeks. 1,500 students were saved because just a group were willing to pray in front of their locker. Their youth pastor wasn't there leading them. It would be great if he was, but again, in most of our school districts, that's not the case. He can't do that. But students were just full of God, hungry. Now there's been entire communities that's been transformed through the West Virginia outpouring that started off with just a few students praying in front of their locker. God can use our young people, amen? God can use our young people. The last strategy or key strategy that we implement through Youth Alive, it's a powerful one, it's our outreach strategy, and we call it the SEVEN Project, and this is our school assembly package. And the SEVEN Project is about being a positive influence and resource during the students' Seven most impressionable years, and that's 6th through 12th grade. The school administration can select topics from abstinence, alcohol, anti-violence, bullying, respect, character, choices, dreams, drugs, leadership, peer pressure, scholastic achievement, self-esteem, social media, suicide, tobacco, and Youth Alive is able to pull up onto that campus. I've got tens of thousands of dollars worth of sound equipment and lights and media where we can do a top-notch school assembly for any public school in this state. As long as we have the invitation, but we can go to that school, make a difference, have a comeback rally at a church like this or at another place in that community where we get the students back and where we give them a clear presentation of the gospel. And over the last 15 years, Youth Alive has been a part of nationally over 1,000 school assemblies where over 600,000 students have been impacted and reached for the kingdom. We're living in a day and an hour where we have to look at our public schools as a mission field. And could it be that God has shaped our nation's truancy laws in order to gather our communities together for the church to easily find, engage, and touch students with the love of Jesus Christ? 
I believe so. Just imagine what can or what we can do together by co-laboring to rescue an entire generation that's ripe and ready for the gospel. Imagine what we can do together. There's a couple of ways that you can help us do this. Number one, obviously, it's by partnering with us in prayer. Nothing great happens unless it's been prayed through, prayed over, unless prayer has gone up. At the very least, we are given the responsibility to pray, to pray, to pray. Jesus called his father's house, if you guys remember in the scripture, a house of what? A house of prayer. As we gather together, our prayers matter. As you pass through a school zone, your prayers matter. As you pray for your kids or maybe someone else's kids or students or maybe a, a teacher or someone who works in that district, that school district, it's making a difference. It's making a difference. We need you to pray. And then, of course, secondly, we are just like every other missionary, whether it's a world missionary or a U.S. missionary, we have a budget that's been given to us from Springfield, and it's our responsibility to raise that budget. If you... Uh, you know, just have felt, felt the spark in your heart today as we've been presenting this great mission field and this great opportunity, I would encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that in the back at our table by filling out one of these faith promise forms and turning this thing back into us today. Any amount is precious to us because it helps us just get a step closer to reaching these students. We have a window of opportunity here. Every single year, students graduate. And then they're just, I mean, they're, they're just scattered and just dispersed all over. And we need to reach them, amen? And I want to set a precedent in this state that our schools matter, that our schools matter. Father, I thank you so much for this great opportunity, Lord, to share. And I thank you for the precious precious saints here at New Song, and I just pray your blessings over them, God. Lord, today I just pray that as your word has gone forth, I pray that we have been challenged and stirred to do something, to do something about what's going on in our nation. Lord, I thank you for all the different avenues that the Assemblies of God provide for reaching out, for making a difference. But Lord, I specifically thank you for this avenue called Youth Alive. God, I thank you that years ago you inspired this in somebody's heart to view our public schools as a mission field. And Lord, I know that when Youth Alive started, you know, maybe the schools uh, didn't have quite the need that they do today. But Lord, certainly we are living, we are living in a, God, in a day and an hour where this generation is lost. This generation is lost. And chances are, just doing what we've always done is probably not going to reach them. But Lord, I believe that you're going to inspire and raise up an army who will partner with us, God, in this state, who will co-labor with us, who will pray, who will financially support, who will even go with us to different events where we are set up on site. Lord, maybe we're able to do a school assembly here in Bentonville or, God, here in this area where we just can reach a massive amount of students. God, maybe you will inspire in pastor's heart and his mind and, and God, in his team's heart to 
God, different ideas, different creative ways that they can get in and onto that campus to be a consistent light to those. God, it's our responsibility to reach this generation. And Father, it's easy for us to look and to complain. But Lord, at the end of the day, we have to go. We have to go. And God, I thank you. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, just real quickly, and I'm, I'm winding this down. It's our responsibility to go. It's our responsibility to go. And you may be here and you, you, know, you may say, you know what, I don't feel called to go to that particular world system. That's fine. But maybe you can partner with us and help us. Amen. Something that I would like to do, and I, I believe it would be okay with pastor, is all of these students, if you're uh, a young person, a child, a student here, I would just like for you to come up to the front of this auditorium this morning and just stand right here in the middle. We just want to gather around you as a church and just pray with you and pray over you and just pray blessings on you. I know that you're at summer break right now and everything's cool, everything's great, you're sleeping in, watching TV, but here in just a few weeks, you're gonna be back on the campus, the largest, most strategic mission field in this country. You know, of course, something else that I didn't even mention, Pastor, is that these students who are, who are in school, we think that the transgender thing is, is kind of going to go away. It's not. And our Assembly of God students are on the front lines of what's coming down the pipe. And it's coming, church. It's coming. Don't turn a blind eye to what I'm saying this morning. This world system, if it's left alone, they will do everything it, they can to unteach and to diffuse everything that's being sown into their life from the church. Everything. And we need to cover these students. Amen. If you're able this morning, would you just get out from where you're sitting today and just come and gather around and just find a couple of these students and just gently lay your hand on them and just pray over them. Again, I would encourage you to stop by our table in the back, talk with Tasha and I, partner with us. Amen. Father, I just thank you for all of these young people, God, right now. I just thank you, Lord, that they are a chosen generation. Lord, as your word tells us in 1 Peter, they are a chosen generation. And God, for such a time as this, Lord, you have caused them to be born. They're here for a reason, for a purpose. It's not just simply to go through the motions and just to graduate and start their career. But God, you have called them, Lord. You have placed them in their particular world system for a reason and for a purpose. And God, I believe it's to be a light. God, I believe it's to be a history maker. God, a difference maker. Lord God, in that circle of friends, in that group, in that world system. Father, I pray you would give them strength to stand against the wiles of the enemy. God, every single opportunity that they have to compromise, Lord, may they be so full of your truth that they recognize the schemes and the attempts of the enemy to try to sidetrack them and to try to, uh, God, get them distracted from where they need to be. And God, I pray you would cause a boldness and such a, God, God, such courage to rise up in them, to stand, to stand. Lord, all it takes is just a few to make a tremendous difference because God plus anyone is always the majority. And I pray that over this generation, God. 
Lord, I pray that you would stir each of these young people, Lord. Give them a burden for their, God, for their campus. Lord, even right now, would you start, Lord, showing them a picture of that friend that they need to focus on and target this upcoming school year, God. Father, use them for your glory. And I ask all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Brother Chris Bradley mentioned the memorial stones that the children of Israel put, you know, when they were crossing, after they crossed the Jordan River to remind them. I think it's also interesting when they crossed the Red Sea that there were pillars put there to remind them. And at least one, I know, if not two of them, still stand today. And I was just thinking as he said that, is that there's so many things we do that we want it to matter. We want what we do to matter, don't we? Do you really aspire to get up and everything about your day and your life to not matter? And there are things that when you do it with the power of God and His leading, not only matter, but last through the ages. And if you can imagine as the children of Israel were under captivity, under Pharaoh, that those parents of those teens then, of those kids, the sorrow in their heart about where they had got themselves to that point. And they begin to realize that their nation had been destroyed and they had blindly just gone and let the enemy take them captive. And it wasn't just for them, but for their children and their children's children. And so they began to cry out to God and Moses led them and they cried out to God to save them. And to this day, there's a moral there of not only the moment when he took them out of captivity, but when he delivered them to the promised land. So when we think about what we do, sometimes it's a matter of, oh, or is pastor trying to just jerk or chain to get us, put some money in place? It's not, it's not the monetary thing that matters. It's the fact that you made a sacrifice that is going to something that will last. And just like what's going on in West Virginia, that will last. There's nobody that can erase what's happened now. The history of that school and the history of that community will always forever know about that awakening, that revival. No matter what people do with it from this point, if they're like the children of Israel and they, have, if they start to turn again, but, but they will have a reminder that God had purposed in their heart to serve Him, and the, there's no one that could destroy that. So as we, as we uh, take time to give, and if I have the boys come up here take time to give to the Lord. I just ask that you take a moment and just let the Lord tell you what you should give. Boys, which one of you is going to pray? Dear Jesus, I pray that you would bless the suffering and that you would use it the way you want to use it, God. And for your church, Jesus, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our event in September is going to involve some of the community and community leaders. Our mayor, the police chief, the fire chief will be in on judging the barbecue contest. Um, you do not have to wait until it's publicized on uh, through our media team. You can begin asking people to be there now. It's back to church Sunday. Um, 
I wish we could say we had intended to plan it that way. When I found out that was Back to Church Sunday, I thought that's awesome. We always have a focus on Back to Church Sunday. So um, begin to invite people now. They can come and, and already be a part of the family and then uh, be out there for that event. It's going to be a great time. Love y'all. Have a blessed Sunday, and uh, we'll see you Wednesday night.